Mark chapter 5. We are going through the book of Mark and come to a very appropriate text leading into vacation Bible school without having to skip forward or backward at all. Look what it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Here's what you see. A demonic. How strange is that? Maniac of Gadara. And Christ gets off the ship. He's greeted by that uh, crazy man. And cast out the demon. We see an incredible thing take place in his life. And God is working here in all of this. But the people, immediately after they've lost their swine, they beg him to leave. He does that, crosses back over. He's met by a large crowd. And there immediately comes a man named Jairus. Now, we don't know what was the purpose in any congregation, in any group. Here's what you're going to see. People come for different reasons. People sit in church for, for a lot of different reasons. I hope you're here this morning for the right reason. If you haven't come for Jesus, to hear from Jesus, and receive help from Jesus, you're here for the wrong reason. But I don't believe there's anyone that was more sincere in their search than Jairus. You can only imagine, those of you who have kids, watching your child reach a point where you know death is just around the corner. Now here's a man, a position, he's a ruler in the synagogue, obviously power, authority, money, he has everything a person can want in life, uh, but when you're at the point of losing a child, none of that matters. None of that could provide him help or a solution. And he is determined to get to Jesus. Now, it doesn't matter how large the crowd is. When you have a child that's, that is at the point of death, you're going to find a way to get right there to Jesus. Nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to block you. He, he comes in verse 22. Look what it says. When he saw him, the first thing he does, he falls at his feet and besought him greatly. Now, here's my message this morning and the thought that I want you to consider. Can this child be saved? Can this child be saved? Now, when you look at the circumstances, circumstantially, we'd have to say there's no way. The doctors have said we've done everything we can do. And we're not talking about modern medicine. We're not talking about Dell's Children's Hospital. We're not talking about new technology and advances we've seen in the past 30 years. We're talking 2,000 years ago. Whatever help they could get, he has already gotten. He's connected. His life insurance is up to date. His health insurance is up to date. The doctors are very aware. Everything that he can do, he has done. Uh, but no preparation can prepare the heart of a parent for a moment when they say, Nothing else, nothing else can be done for this child. No supplements are working. There's no way to get the fever down. There's nothing more that we can do. He knows. Now, we know that here in the synagogue, they were not embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. This is early in his ministry. 
But at this point, he doesn't care what his friends and associates are saying about Jesus. He's saying, this is my hope. I'm going to go and I'm going to beseech. I'm going to pray. Now, we talk about vacation Bible school in children, in reaching children. We have to understand the greatest thing you can do for any child is pray for that child. If you're a parent here this morning and you're not regularly, I'm not talking about occasionally. I'm not talking about half-heartedly. If you're not praying for that child that you are rearing and for God to get involved, here's what he said. I I need Jesus to come and to touch my child. If you're not praying, God, I I am putting my child in your hands because there's a wicked world out there seeking the destruction and devastation of our children. We are living in a culture that says those children are not even yours. Whether you drop them off at a school or a daycare system, the government uh, more and more wants to claim they are are responsible for rearing your child. No, 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 no. That's a God-given responsibility. But that all starts with a parent that is serious about praying for that child. We have our first grandchild on the way. And we are headed to Ecuador. I have had several of you ask me if we have round-trip tickets. Yes, They are round trip. That doesn't mean we're going to use them. That just means that we actually have them. But we've already been praying. I've been praying last night. Uh, Woke up. How many of you are old enough now that uh, you don't sleep all night long? That just doesn't happen. Uh, Thank God. If if you still have that gift and you still have that uh, ability, but at some point it'll be snatched from you. And be careful about what you say. I told my wife for years because she never had a restful, peaceful sleep. I said, babe, a clear conscience would solve that problem. (laughs) And now she looks at me and says, a clear conscience (laughs) would solve your problem. No, at some point, age beats a clear conscience. Amen? Beats up on a clear conscience. Whatever the case. when When you have children and grandchildren, it ought to be heavy on your heart. I'm already praying. For that little baby, we've already pre-named it Adam Byron. And I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. doesn't matter. He's already been named and claimed. Amen. Whatever the case, I'm praying for the salvation of his soul. I'm praying for a healthy birth. I'm, I'm praying that God uses him down the road. But the greatest gift any one of these children in here can have is a parent that is interceding on their behalf, first and foremost, for the salvation of their soul. Uh, And your highest concern ought to be the spiritual concern for that child. But I can't imagine a child going through his life without anyone praying for him or her. And that's what we have this week. We bust in kids and bring in kids that normally wouldn't be in church. You're going to be looking at children and teenagers filling these pews that don't have a single person on the planet praying for them or their soul. And I hope. We've told our bus captains and those that are reaching out, you ought to already have lists made up. You ought to already pass those out. And people should have been in prayer for weeks at this point. I hope that you found one of those lists. I hope that you're already in prayer because your prayer ought to extend beyond just your family. But remember this week, as you work with these young people and these children, you may be the only person on the planet that is praying individually for them. Can you imagine that? 
Most of you, all you know, and there are a lot of second and third generation Christians in here. All you've known is parents and grandparents. I mean, this group that's hanging up here you know, for, for Jerry and Peyton and, and Uriah, all they've ever known is parents that pray for them and grandparents that pray for them and friends that pray for them and teachers that pray for them and a pastor that prays for them. But what about those that have a home. If there's any prayer, it's to a false god or a false prophet or someone that can't even hear their prayer. That's right. yes, sir. And this week we have the great privilege of taking someone who's not known that privilege. But here was a dad that was concerned and determined and he came and he besought him greatly. We ought to get that urgent. This is a life or death matter. We're talking about the souls of men. There's not a whole lot of urgency in today's praying. You listen to a lot of praying. God bless and Lord help and uh, the missionaries and these kids. And when it's urgent, heartfelt prayer, there's none of those generalities being mentioned. There's no callous, there's no carelessness, but a pouring out of the Spirit. You ought to be in serious prayer. I, this week we sent uh, 30 of our Spanish teens and, and leaders to the reservation to help with vacation Bible school. I'm looking at those pictures. I, I could not be more overwhelmed with joy because I remember bringing those kids in. I remember some of them, we, we had one of those kids that, that came and, and the, the, the first few weeks that he came, he, he sat back there in the back. He wouldn't even look at the preacher. He just turned this way and, and would look down at the pew and, and wouldn't pay attention. And now he's on a trip and he's helping win souls to Christ, and he's pumped up, and he's telling Pastor, this is the greatest thing that, that God's ever allowed me to do in my lifetime. We're watching the transformation in the lives of young people. But those are kids that I have prayed for. I don't know how many times I've walked through these pews, and uh, it, there are a few, David and Karen like to hop around the auditorium, but the majority of you sit in a normal place. And when I pray pew by pew and row by row, it's because I know where you sit and where you... Now, Mike and Debbie recently like to hop around. It doesn't matter. When I walk through this row right here, which is their designated seat, I pray for Mike and Debbie. I still pray for Lauren and that little grandbaby. But I, I remember praying for those Spanish teens in each one of their places and now I look at those pictures and I see them leading their first soul to Christ. And I see them helping in a Tina event. And I could not be a happier preacher. Amen. But let me ask you this. How many Spanish teens out there don't have a pastor, don't have a mom, don't have a dad, don't have a grandma or grandpa, don't have a bus route, don't, don't have a person on this planet beseeching God with sincerity of heart for the salvation of their soul? Now, if you're not doing that on a regular basis, could you make a commitment to God this morning that you get the names of a few young people and you would pour out your soul to God for their soul, for God to do work? Because here's what we can do, folks. I don't care what kind of decorations you put up, what kind of preparation, what kind of teacher. We have incredibly gifted teachers. Incredible lessons and programs and songs, and I thank God for all of that. But at the end of the day, none of that's going to change a single young person, a single teenager, or bring conviction to a single heart. You know the only one that can do that? It's God. 
The only one that can make a difference and, and take someone from death to life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to make sure we are on our knees this week because I'm, I am so grateful for the gifted people that we have in this ministry, but I do not count on a single gift or a single person this week to make a single change in a single child outside the help of the Holy Spirit of God. He came and he besought him greatly. Now, here's what you thank God for. You thank God this little girl actually had a dad that was involved and that cared and that was going to make sure Jesus came to this house. Let me ask you once again. You know what this week's about? Taking kids that don't have a daddy. Daddy's not saved. Matter of fact, half these kids don't even know who daddy is. Some of them have never even met their dad. All they know is this person that's chasing mom this week probably won't be around very long. And if there's a man in the hall, oftentimes that man's going to come home drunk. He's going to scream. There's going to be verbal abuse. For some, they've suffered sexual abuse. You're, you're talking about children that have suffered every imaginable, uh, imaginable sin in, in, in their lifetime. Not by They didn't choose that home. They didn't choose that daddy. They didn't choose that life. They were born into that. It's all they've ever known. They, they didn't get a pick where they lived. They didn't get a pick their aunts and uncles. They didn't get a pick. The choice of who's going to hurt them today or who's going to beat them tomorrow or who's going to yell at them the next day. They didn't get a choice of a home with happiness or without happiness. They might have chosen a different circumstance. So if you... If you were fortunate enough to be born in a home where parents both love you and there was a dad or a mom that opened up the Bible and they read you Bible stories before you could even understand them and they pointed you to Jesus and talked to you about salvation before you could even grasp the concept. They told you about Jesus and his love before you could wrap your mind around a Messiah, a Savior, blood sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins. If you heard all that, and received all that is a gift from God. Not that you chose it. Somehow, you just got supernaturally blessed. Because you know what? You had a daddy that said, I want to make sure Jesus is in this home. You know what you ought to do, young people, today? If, if God gifted you with one of those daddies, you ought to find him. You give him a big hug and say, thank you for bringing Jesus to this home and keeping Jesus in this home and being concerned about me that you introduced me to Jesus at a young age. Yeah. Yes, sir. But you know what this week's about? There's literally thousands of homes in Austin, Texas that don't have a daddy that's going to bring Jesus. Matter of fact, you have a daddy that's going to keep Jesus out. And if Jesus were to show up today in person, they'd slam the door and make sure he was kept out. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't want anything to do with the gospel. They don't want anything to do with God, heaven, or hell, or a Bible. They don't want a Bible in their house. And here's what this week's about. If there's no daddy there, if there is no daddy there to bring Jesus home, one of us can bring Jesus to that house. One, one of a, well, you know, it may be difficult. It may be difficult. This, this daddy, although good intention, had to overcome a lot of obstacles. 
just the crowd alone. You, you don't understand. Most of the time, these crowds were so pressing that Christ, if he was up against the water, he would get in a boat in order not to be pressed beyond measure physically to escape, to escape the multitude. Have you ever been in a situation like that where the crowd was so great you felt suffocated? These were the type of crowds that followed Christ. And yet, Dad said, I'm going to overcome the crowd. Jesus answers, and let me just say this, if you want to include Jesus in your journey, he's happy to be included. Anybody want to include Jesus? He never sat back and said, no, you know, I, I don't think so. I'm not big on your personality. I, I don't think I could walk with you very long. I, I know what kind of Christian you're going to become. I don't think I'm going to save you. Aren't you glad that despite who we are and knowing what we will be, he in love and mercy still says, yeah, I'd, I'd like to travel with you. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. He beseeches him greatly. He lets him know, I pray thee, come lay hands on her that she may be healed, she shall live. And verse 24 says, Jesus did what? People went with him and much people followed. So the people are going to leave him alone. So Jairus gets Gets his attention. He explains to him what's going on. Christ says, I'll come to you. Now, I want you to put yourself for a minute there. Your pastor has a vivid imagination, but I can't help you out. I'm not a movie director. Uh, We're not using the big screens this morning. But put yourself in this situation. So you have this huge throng, many searching for miracles, many with much smaller needs. But Jairus is determined to get Christ. So, so Jairus is pushing his way through the crowd and looking back and pushing his way through the crowd, looking back, make sure Jesus is still with him. There's so many people that surround him, pushing. And, and suddenly he looks back, Christ is not there, and he turns to get back to Jesus, and he hears Jesus say these words, uh, who, who touched me? Can you imagine what Jairus is thinking? Uh, really? Who touched you? Who didn't touch you? Uh, there, there are hundreds here. There are dozens of people here. They're, they're all trying to get a piece of you. They're, who knows? Who touched, would, you, would you please, if your daughter's dying and you know you have limited time, do, do you think you want to be bothered by this kind of delay? Do, do you want uh, anybody distracting or deterring the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's, here's what I guarantee he's doing. I guarantee he's walking back, putting his way back, only to grab the Lord Jesus Christ and pull him and Christ said, no, hold on for a minute. Hold, hold, hold on for a minute. Who touched me? And a, a, a lady raised her hand and, and tells him uh, that, that she's the one. You know the story. Twelve years dealing with this issue of blood. Now, I don't know. I've listened to preachers and I've read commentaries. And everybody tries to connect the twelves here. A twelve-year-old daughter that, that's about ready to die. And a lady with an issue of blood for twelve years. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like what any of them say, so I'm going to give you my opinion. Now, remember, I want to always differentiate between what the Bible says and what Adam Thompson thinks. Can can we distinguish that for a minute? I'm not going to insert my opinion in the Bible. I'm only going to insert my opinion in your hearts and minds for just a moment. And here's what I think. Twelve years, most likely, if this woman had an issue of blood, it was probably related to childbearing uh, issues or situation. Can you imagine if, if this were a movie, you go back, this where you stop in the scene and you go back 12 years to a hospital. And you have two different rooms and two different mothers giving birth to two children. 
Both are extremely happy. There are only some complications with one woman, and the doctor keeps her there and tells her, we've, we've got an issue here that we're going to have to address. And uh, hopefully, through some natural remedies or other things, uh, we'll, we'll bring in our best doctors and surgeons to see if we can uh, help you. But they release both babies, both families. Can you imagine, as they go out the lobby and through the doors, these two families have no clue. They're both rejoicing over newborn children, excited about the prospect in life and what God has done for them, bumping shoulders but never even thinking twice about what has taken place outside of their own little world. And 12 years later, this problem has still not been fixed. 12 years, she's got a, the, doc, the, the doctor say, well, I, we don't know if we can help you. We've tried everything. And if you read about the nat- natural remedies, it was absolutely despicable. Like today, a lot of these natural remedies and supplements. Have you ever tried some of these liquids? Have you ever <laughs> tried to swallow that for more than two days? 30 days of that kind of torture? No! But she had tried everything, and the Bible says she spent every last time that she had. And here she is, 12 years later, interrupting the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives brought back together by the same person, their only hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's just my opinion. I don't know. That's my vivid imagination. Whatever the case, they're back. Jairus is trying to get him to hurry up, and the Lord turns and heals her. Now, here's, here's what I do. When we're looking at delays in life, we often get frustrated. And when it comes to the salvation of souls, here's what happens. We'd like for every single person that hears the gospel the very first time to respond. How many realize that doesn't happen very often? There are often delays. You witness to someone, uh, I look back at the Spanish church, I marvel. If, if, if you want to have a blessing this morning, stick around till 12 o'clock, sit in the Spanish church. We're going to have testimonies, put pictures up there on the big screen, what God used these young people to do this past week on the reservation. But this, will, this place will be as full this morning in the next service in Spanish church as it is today in the English church. Eight years ago, we started with one couple sitting around a table, a Bible, doing discipleship. But we did discipleship with that man trying to win him to Christ, I went through the discipleship book, 13 lessons, three times. You say, how did you do that? We get to baptism, we tell them baptism doesn't save. You get to eternal security, tell them can't have security, they get saved. We get to church membership, told them church membership doesn't save you. We'd, we get soul winning and we'd walk him through how to lead a soul to Christ. We did that three times, 18 months later. That's called a delay. Here's what you don't want to do in the middle of delay, give up hope. My daughter, Ashley, back there, how many times she heard the gospel before she got saved? A a preacher's daughter that waits until she's 13 to get born again. That's called a delay. That's called giving your dad a heart attack. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Thank God I was a young man and the old ticker could handle it. I don't think this age and stage of life I could. But here's what I know. In the midst of delay, here's what we often do. It, listen, there'll be young people that get witnessed to on Monday and won't respond, and Tuesday and won't respond, and Wednesday and won't respond, and Thursday. There will be some that will come all week long and not respond to the gospel. We don't give up hope. Yeah. 
God is still doing something. Here's what you want to do. You enjoy the miracles that are taking place and someone else's miracle while you're waiting on the miracle that you're praying for. You know what you have to do? You rejoice at this woman 12 years. So you bring someone praying for their salvation and someone else brings a teenager and that teenager responds to the gospel. First night, and you're sitting there with his arms crossed, hard heart, refusing to respond. You know what you say? I'm going to rejoice over the miracle that God just did in that other life and wait and pray and not become distracted, discouraged, or frustrated, downtrodden. Meanwhile, because I believe God is working behind the scenes. And here's what happens. Now more bad news comes. Verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, now here's, here's what I've been shocked by and about. I've always been shocked by People that are so cold concerning the death of another person. I, as a pastor, that's my duty. I've been there for many that are grieving. This world without Christ, this world without God, they are cold. They are hard. They are calloused. And they just, listen, this guy just shows up. Look, look at what he says. Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Can you be any more cold than that? Now, he was already discouraged. He was already frantic. And then this man comes and says, he's dead. Just, just stop on the master. Stop trying to get him in the house. It's over. Let's just go make funeral preparations. Now, here's the problem. This guy is confusing the truth with the facts and the facts with the truth. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I, I thought that, that was the same. No, it's not the same. Not when you're talking about Jesus. Okay? The facts were she was dead. The truth was Christ is the resurrection and the life. The facts were this is hopeless. The truth is Christ brings hope to the hopeless. The facts were, don't bother him any further. The doctors can't help and no one can help. And she's dead. A funeral has to be prepared for. The truth is, Jesus Christ has interrupted funerals before. He would interrupt a few more during his... He interrupted every funeral that he ever went to. They They didn't even get to preach the message. They didn't get to sing the songs. Then he just stopped the whole process and said, wait a minute, let me talk to the deceased for a moment. And usually the conversation is very short. Lazarus come forth and then he comes out. and That's it. So here's, here's what I want you to do. When you take a look this week at these kids, you say, it's so hard and There'll be atheists, there'll be other religions, there'll be kids that have been taught everything in the Bible is a lie. When they come here, we talk about creation. Many of these kids have been told, they're all creation. No, this is about evolution. This is about you coming from an ape, not from a creator. And you've, you've got to introduce them to truth. So here's, here's what he did. Naturally, 
Okay, here's what you got to expect. Someone that does not believe in Jesus Christ is going to talk like this, and they're going to act like this. So cold, so hard. Now look what it says in verse 35. Why? Troubled the south of Master, and he further, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he says unto the ruler of the synagogue, What? Be not afraid, only believe. Let, let's say that together. Be not afraid, only believe. How many of you are not good at memorizing scripture? Raise your hand, not very good at it. Now, you can memorize a part of scripture this morning that'll help you out. Okay, let's, let's say it together. Because the more you say it, the more it's going to stick in your mind. Let's say it one more time. Be not afraid, only, only believe. How many say this? This could probably help me out about it every day. Yep. You're reading the news, you're looking what's taking place in our world, in our society, and, and Christ. Now, this is what this whole chapter is about. He says this repeatedly in Mark chapter 5. Be not afraid, only believe. Remember Mark chapter 4? Disciples out there, and they're all fearful. Oh, you have little faith. Now, the, the purpose in all of this, there is an underlying fundamental truth that Christ is trying to get across in the hearts of men. How do we access grace? How do we access the power and the blessing of God? By faith. Amen. But it's hard to exercise. Here's what I believe. Positions changed on the walk to the house at this point because Jairus was leading Christ, pushing through the crowd, trying to get him there as quickly as possible. But when he received the word, your daughter is dead. Christ had to say this because obviously there was a change in the countenance and the heart and the emotions of Jairus. And I believe at this point, Christ leads Jairus. Because you're dealing with a father that's saying, come on, tell me you wouldn't be sucker punch. Tell me you wouldn't be. What, what kind of knot in your stomach? What kind of emotion would you, how would you keep it together? And at this point, you're talking about, well, Christ didn't know where he lived. Christ knows everything. He's facilitating the opening of the crowd at this point, and he's leading Jairus, and he's saying, be not afraid, only believe. And at some point, church, all of us can have a moment in life when we drop our heads and our heart sinks, and we're going to have to say, be not afraid, only believe. Doesn't matter who you're dealing with. I've dealt with people before. Seems so hard, rock hard, impossible to reach with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be not afraid. Only believe. I've told you this moment before, uh, Margarito, one of the hardest cases that I know. And I remember when I prayed for him and I turned to leave in my heart. I said, this is my last chance. I'm going to get run out of this house. This man will never want to see me again, only to hear the words, Pastor, can I get saved right now? That's the work the Holy Spirit does in hearts. So when you look at that teenager that looks hard, let me just tell you, that hard face, that sad look, that problematic person, there is a story that runs deep in that young man or young woman's life. You'd be traumatized to hear it. But there is a Savior who's willing to get to that house and change a life. Now look what it says, verse 38. So they get there. He comes to the house of the synagogue. He seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. 
And let me just say this. I know what everyone says and commenters say back then they had paid people that were mourners and they'd come in with the flutes and play a sad song. They'd weep. I understand all that, but it doesn't change the fact when there's a dead child in the house, there's some real grieving that is taking place. There's some heartfelt welling. I don't need to pay any grievers. I can imagine uh, there is a mother there, there's family members there, there are aunts and uncles and friends there, and, and there is uncontrolled weeping because this 12-year-old that they loved has just died. Mm-hmm. And church, as we go out this week, you got to understand, there's a lot of sorrow in these houses. But if they don't know Jesus Christ, what is there to rejoice over? If your house is absent of the Lord Jesus Christ, absent of salvation, absent of Bible truth, absent of the Holy Ghost, absent of a perfect, pure, preserved Word of God, what is there to rejoice over? You tell me, what are you going to look at that's going on around this world and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that's fantastic. Why do you think drugs are needed? Why do you think alcohol is needed? Why do you think another high is needed? Because nothing else is going to produce any happiness. There's a lot of grieving that has taken place. There's a lot of sorrow in church. I remind you this week, as we work with these young people, these young people are dealing with heartaches at 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. And Jesus is the only one that's going to bring a smile or put some level of joy in a heart that is joyless or happyless. child did i remember years ago we had a boy in our church 17 years of age got hit by a drunk driver on his way home from school mom called me i've been called on several occasions normally a person in this condition cannot speak they're so overwhelmed with grief you're just trying to figure out where to go i found out the hospital we went up there It was in Pachuca, Mexico. If you think socialized medicine is a good thing, go to countries where it's used. And that accident happened an hour, hour and a half early. I sat in there, I prayed with the mother, I talked to the family. Then at some point I realized that child was on a hospital gurney in the hallway. They had not even taken him out of the hallway. His head was caved in, blood was still coming out of his mouth, glass was on his body. They had not even washed his brow with a rag. I grabbed that mother, obvious at this point that that child was not going to make it much longer, and they had the security guard standing there. And I took that mom, I said, we're going to go see your boy. And the security guard said, you can't come through here. I said, we will come through here or someone. Someone's going to get her. I don't know if it's you or me, but someone's going to get her. But this mother's going to go see her boy. We pushed our way through, and we walked over there, and she wrapped her arms around that boy for the last time. We prayed, wept, said goodbye. And he was gone. A couple hours in the hospital, never attended to. But the grief, I've had to experience that grief. 
as a pastor. But it's not the same grief when it's a parent. And to look at a parent, there's no way, there's no way to console. You can't do enough, you can't feel the grief when that parent walks through that valley. But let me say something this morning. Some of you might not understand. You know what's more painful than having a child pass before they reach an age of accountability? Having a child pass that's gone past the age of accountability, heard the gospel, and never responded. For that child to die, whether that is at age 30 or 40 or 50, for that child to die, and that parent to say goodbye knowing they've heard the gospel, but never trusted Christ as their Savior, that's pain. That is grief. Here comes Jesus. They brought him in. The grieving is loud. Look what it says. Verse 39, when he was come in, he said unto them, Why you make, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth once again. It is, there's no contradiction here. We're talking about facts and truth. They're dealing with the facts. He's dealing with the truth. They laughed him to scorn. There are scorners, and you know what's going to happen is we try to reach the lost, and we try to reach out for the salvation of souls this week. There are scorners. There's been some say, what are you doing? Why the investment? Why are you picking up kids? What is this all about? It's about Jesus. Jesus, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. Hey, here's, here's what he did. Listen, there are people still in 2022 do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They do not believe in the supernatural. Now, now people, it would be astounding. It would be absolutely astounding. Can you put yourself there just for a moment? As Christ walks in, and here's what he does. He brings in Peter, James, and John. It, it excludes everyone else. There, there are now who knows how many people outside that house. And only mom and dad are allowed to be in there. The, the, the mourners and the scorners have all been pushed out. And let me just interject this before we get to the miracle. He, let's get back and read the specific words in our King James Bible. They laughed and scorned, but when he had what? He put them all out. Did you know there are people sitting here this morning that don't need to be here tomorrow night? Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, if you have any touch of doubt or scorn in you, let me ask you this morning, please don't show up on this property tomorrow. I'll preach to you today and I'll do my best to preach the devil out of you today, but don't show up tomorrow. Is the Lord Jesus Christ that exclusive? Absolutely. You know what he did with that bunch? He said, get out. You know, there's some attitudes that got to leave before God will work. There's some people. And I remember way back, 30 years ago in my ministry, people would leave. And I go knock on the door. And I sit down at the table. And I pray with them. And ask them to stick around. Now, before they think about leaving, I ask them to leave. We don't have enough chairs. We don't have enough parking. We don't have... 
So if there's a doubt in the mind, man, if, if, you're not, if, if you're not behind reaching people and getting people the gospel and rescuing the perishing and preaching the word of God, what's your recommendation? Get out. That sounds like it could be attacking this morning. We're not trying to attack anyone. It's just there's a certain philosophy mentality in crowd that has to go. And the crowd that doesn't care anything about the loss, especially a child that needs rescuing. And you don't believe that Jesus Christ can perform a miracle? Now, here's, here's what's incredible. Verse 41. He took the damsel by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel. Now, I've, I've heard messages. The whole message was, Talitha kumai. Isn't it crazy that we like to, to say words that we can't even pronunciate or understand the meaning of. People always want to tell you about the Greek or the Hebrew, and they can barely speak English. <laughs> Don't ever be impressed by any of this. Say, what did he say? Damsel, arise. That's all he needed to say. Can you imagine their grieving? This girl is dead. No breath is left in her body. Her heart is not beating. And he walks in and he says, Mom and Dad, I want you to be calm for a minute. She's just asleep. Now, here's what he was saying. Was, was she literally asleep? Was he lying? No, no. He was just saying, when Christ shows up, death, which seems so permanent to us, is a temporary thing for him. Yes, amen. Because he is the resurrection life. He's the author. He can overcome any physical loss because he's the creator of those physical loss. Can you imagine that moment? He says, damsel, rise. And she sits up and looks over at mom and says, mom, why are you crying? Dad, your eyes look so woeful and so sorrowful. Dad, I don't think I've ever seen you cry before. Well, I'm not crying, honey. Can you imagine the hugging that took place? Now, let me ask you this. She would have to face death again, but this time with knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, the greatest miracle that could take place isn't going to take place at a funeral home or a hospital. I thank God. I've seen modern day miracles. I thank God for those that have been healed of a physical ailment or some of cancer. I thank God for that. But you know the greatest miracle, 2022, is an unsaved person, hears the gospel, comes under conviction, and gets born again. You know what a miracle is? A 12-year-old walks through these doors, sat through a public school that tried to push God from their thoughts and their hearts, told them they can't even identify what gender they were born with, what male or female. God established that, but society has told them they, that's never been established. They get established that down the road based on a feeling. Can you imagine that's all you've ever known is this kind of chaotic, crazy, Marxist, teaching. They come in, hear the gospel, raise their hand, sit down with the Bible, understand, come under conviction, cry out to God for forgiveness. That is a miracle. And you get to be there. You get to be the Peter, James, or John. You get to see God raised from the, the spiritual dead. A child with no spiritual life. Church, let me ask you this. This morning, 
the question, can that child be saved? Any child can be saved. But would you commit this morning? I'm talking about seven. I'm not asking you for a lifetime commitment. I'm not asking for a seven-year or seven-month commitment. I'm asking you for a seven-day commitment. Will you say, forget the news, forget inflation, forget gas prices, forget the cost of food, forget my sore foot, sore ear, sore forehead. Here's what I'm going to focus on the salvation of the soul and I'm going to get busy praying and I'm going to get specific and I'm going to get some names and I want to be used of God and I would like to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ a personal invitation like Peter, James, and John to, to watch a miracle take place and that can happen this week. And some of you have never had that happen. You've never gotten close enough to Christ and burned enough for a child to actually see that happen. That can happen this week. Yes, and you can have that joy but this morning, this invitation is for a group only willing to make a commitment and say, God, the next seven days are committed to seeing a spiritual miracle take place in the life of a teenager or a child, maybe my own child. God, I want to see you do that work.